All right, here we go. Everybody ready? Yep. All right, uh, if you are new to New Hope, this is what we do around here. We teach through specific books of the Bible, meaning we go through an entire book of the Bible at a time because we want to teach you to understand God's Word, and we want to make God's Word make sense. That's our goal every time we preach a sermon. And so today, this is Tim the Teacher, okay? Everybody ready for Tim the Teacher? Yeah. Okay, because there's a lot in Romans chapter 8. There's a lot for us to understand. I'm going to do my best to use our time well and, um, and for us to get into this. So, um, so this is what we learned so far. Chapter 7, you know, chapters 1 through 5, we learned that we have sinned, right? Everybody sinned. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're the most righteous or you're the biggest sinner. We all are equal at the foot of the cross. We are all sinners. And sin equals debt, meaning when we sin against somebody, it creates a debt relationship with that person. We sin against God, it causes a debt relationship with God. And that debt has to be paid one way or another. The reality is we can't pay that debt. He sent his son Jesus to pay the debt of our sin. Amen? And that's what happened. That's what we celebrated Easter. Not only did he die to pay for our debt, he conquered death and rose again so that we can have real life and also be risen again. Isn't that good news? So this is good stuff we've been talking about so far, that God so far, that God made us right and that now we can have a relationship with him. All it takes is faith and belief. That's it. It's no works. Works can't get you there. You can't be good enough to get there. That's why we say Jesus without all the religion, because the religion doesn't get you to Jesus. Jesus gets you to God. The religion won't get you there. And so we're learning, though, now after we've accepted Christ, that now that we've received grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, right, that, that we, have, um, we have now the opportunity to grow in Christ, meaning we don't, like, become a Christ follower and then just keep sinning and keep living our own life. Like, what does it mean to live in freedom? Because um, last, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Paul, you know, Paul in chapter 7, Chapter 7 is just a sad chapter, isn't it? I do what I don't want to do. I don't do the thing I know I ought to do. What a wretched man I am is where, he's, where he goes. He's like, what, what do I do with this? And the answer is chapter 8. And so that's what we're learning about is, is the answer to that struggle that we all go through, okay? And so, um, so let's kick off. If you don't have a reading plan, every series we create one of these reading plans so that you can read along with us. And uh, you can read leading up to the sermon every single Sunday. If you want to join us in that each week, we have five-day reading plans. So we give you some wiggle room out of the seven days uh, to, to be able to accomplish it. Um, you can grab one of those on the table on your way out right there in the middle. Um, or you can do it on our app or on our website. We have that everywhere. So um, I would encourage you to do that. And a part of that also, we do a memory verse. And today, we're in the memory verse that uh, we're switching to the memory verse that's in the passage we're reading today. And this is a good one, y'all. All right? All right, this is really good. So this, it's Romans 8.28. This is, uh, according to like all the Google research and studies, like of the top scriptures that people memorize and, and put on things, this is number four, all right? So this is like the fourth most, po- most popular scripture in the United States, okay? Um, and so you've probably heard it, and we've probably misused it many, many times, okay? So today we're going to learn what this actually means for us. So let's all read this verse out loud together. Everybody ready? All right. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We want this one, don't we? That God works together, right? All things for the good. We want good. Who wants good in their life, right? We want good. Now, here's the thing. We might define good differently than God does. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does that mean? Like, what does that actually mean? 
mean. And so, um, so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read the passage that we're going to be in together. I would ask you to roam, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And uh, today we're in verses 18 through 30. So if you're able to, would you stand with me as we read uh, the word um, together? If you are new to New Hope, we stand um, as, a, as a sense of honoring God's word. When you, somebody important would show up in a room, you would stand to honor that person. This is what we do. We honor God's word because it is life for us. So this is what it says. I'm reading from the NASB this morning, and that's what I'm studying through today. So this is what it says, starting in verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only that, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... Through perseverance, we eagerly, um, we wait eagerly for it. Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for, uh, for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. God, we thank you for your word, and we know that it does it always accomplishes what you want it to. And so this morning, that's my prayer. Would, would you work in us by the power of your spirit and by the love that you have for us and the gentleness that you teach us with, lead us into truth this morning, God. Free us from lies, free us from misbelief or doubt, and help us to walk in your truth and freedom. And we just ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. All right. So this is what we've been learning, right? That Paul, um, that, that Paul in chapter 7 is saying, what a wretched man I am, right? Who can, who can save me from myself? Who can save me from this wretched, wretched body, right? And he says, thank you to who? Jesus Christ, right? He's the only one that can save us from this, ugh, from this sin, from this like tension, from the struggle that I sin, but I don't want to sin, but I still struggle with it. Like, ah, thank you that we know Jesus Christ. This is what we've learned so far is that the external law, meaning the rules, can never change us, right? That's why we talked about last week and Sam brought the message about the Holy Spirit. We need something inside of us to change us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It's God in us. God's presence in us. If you missed last week, go watch it. Because the Holy Spirit is God 
He is God. He is a he, not an it. Like he is a person of the Trinity. Remember that with Rob Boss coming in and painting the picture? With the color brown? Okay, if you missed it, that's, you're bad. So, um, but that's the Trinity, and part of the Trinity is in us. And so we're being transformed from the inside out. It's kind of like this. It'd be, it, it, this is what so many people try to do with religion. It'd be finding out that you have cancer, right? There's, some, there's a cancerous cell inside of your body, and, and the doctor says, I tell you what, here's your prescription. Go use a thermometer. What's a thermometer going to do to help you with cancer, right? Nothing. It's, you stick it in your mouth or you stick it in your ear. No, you swipe it around. There's lots of ways. That you, there's lots of different ways you can, like, take your temperature, right? But all a thermometer does is tell you what is. That's all it does. It's not going to help the cancer. It's not going to do anything with the cancer. That's, that's what the law is. It's like a thermometer. That's all. It can't cause any healing, what we need is something to go inside of us, right? If, if you have cancer, like a thermometer is not the treatment. There's all sorts of treatments that they will give you. But it has to change you from the inside out. It's got to deal with those cells. It's the same with the Holy Spirit. He deals with the sin cells in our lives inside of us and starts to transform us from the inside out. The law is just the law. All it does is tells you what, what is and what isn't, what you should and shouldn't do. That's all it does. We need the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So the good news in chapter 8 is that we're learning what that looks like, what that process looks like. And chapter 8 starts with one thing and ends with another. And this is what it starts with. The, chapter 8 starts with no condemnation, and it ends with no separation. Woo! There is no longer any condemnation. There's no condemnation. Amen. All through the first part of Romans, that's what we're learning. We are forgiven. Therefore, there is no more condemnation. Even though I'm wretched, even though I still struggle with sin back and forth, I'm not condemned. I still sin, but I'm not condemned. I'm forgiven. Whew, that's a good place to be. And then at the end, there is no separation, meaning there is nothing that will take you away from the presence of God. Thank you, Lord. I'm like I'm Todd up here because Todd is saying, thank you, Lord, thank you, Jesus. The rest of you are just like, <laughs> are you all listening to what I'm saying? There's no condemnation, Amen. And there's no separation, amen? Like, this is what it says. Uh, let me read it for you so we get more excited. All right, this is what it says. Romans 8, verse 31. Therefore, there is now, say it with me, no condemnation at all. At all for those who are in Christ Jesus, meaning you by faith confess, boom, no more condemnation. You may sin, but you're not condemned, right? Down to the very last, nor any other created thing will be able to what? To separate us from the love of God that is in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the heartbeat of it all. Christ Jesus our Lord. Thank you to Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the only way you get any of this. Rules don't get it. The law doesn't get it. Religion doesn't get it. You need who? Jesus. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Without all the religion, we just need Jesus. So here's my first point. Fill, fill us in. There is no more condemnation or separation from God. That's the good news as we start today's conversation. There is no more condemnation or separation from God. We've been forgiven. We are God's kids. <laughs> Isn't that cool? We're God's kids. The thing is, let me ask you a question. Are all your kids perfect? It doesn't matter how old you get, and no matter how old your kids get, your kids aren't perfect. And that's the thing with our Heavenly Father. He looks at all of us imperfect. 
but he still loves us to death, literally. He loved us to his son's death. Like, that's how much he loves us. You're his child. And the thing with kids, it's, it's pretty um, clear that kids start to look like their parents. They just do, right? And I don't know if you've ever gotten older and started saying stuff, and you're like, where did that come from, right? And you're like, dang it, my mom said that, my dad said that, right? Like, it just comes out of you. Like, when you start to walk with God, God starts coming out of you. That's just what you start to look like more and more. That's what kids do. They look like their parents. That we, as God's children, being loved by him, start to look more and more like him. And not only that, we have been given an inheritance that we're called co-heirs with Christ. That's, that's the next level of, of being a kid, right? Like, of being one that receives the inheritance. The only way that inheritance comes, like, is if somebody dies. Did you know that? Like, if you demand an inheritance from, like, your relative that's still alive, that's rude don't do that, right? Like, like you get the inheritance. Once they pass away, that's when the inheritance comes. Same thing what God did to us. Jesus died, then we got his inheritance, all of his righteousness, the relationship with our heavenly father. We are co-heirs with Christ. What? Man, this is good news. There's no condemnation, and now there's life transformation, and there's Holy Spirit invigoration. I'm preaching better than you're talking. All right, so here we go. We're getting into it, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, okay? Let's learn together as we are understanding what this looks like in our lives, okay? So, verse 18, here we go. This is what he says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the, e- for the e- eerily awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. This is a key word, futility. The creation was subjected to futility. This is, a, remember when we went through the book of Ecclesiastes? Yeah. He said vanity, vanity. Like that's that same word, futility, vanity, meaningless. Like that's what this world has been subjected to, yeah. right? Not willing, um, but, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So in hope, that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. So, like, even the earth is, like, struggling. That's, and that's why, like, the government's trying to create policies. Let's save the earth, right? Let's do things to take care of this earth. Because the earth is groaning. Like, there are things on this planet, physical things, animal kingdom, that groans because of sin, because of brokenness. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together uh, until now, childbirth, it's waiting for something, right? That's what childbirth is. It's that longing and waiting for birth, for new, right? And not only that, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, so we have the Holy Spirit, even ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. I just need you to know this body is not a redeemed body yet, right? Like, I don't know if your body's a redeemed body, but like, this is my earthly body, and it's moaning and groaning. And the older I get, there's things that hurt. Eh. You ever wake up one morning and say, boy, man, that really hurts. And then you're like, well, that's going to hurt the rest of my life. You know, it's like you just wake up and there you go. You just, you're getting old. Um, those of you who are young, get ready. There's the hope. So, so what is this saying? It's saying the earth is groaning, right? We groan. It's because the way, what, the creation we live in right now is a creation that is missing the mark. It's missing the bullseye, right? The bullseye is perfection. The bullseye is God's original intent and creation, like in the garden. 
and what it will be when he returns and sets it back to the way he wanted it. Like, that's the bullseye, but right now the earth is not hitting the bullseye. We're not hitting the bullseye. We sin. We still struggle in sin. Even though we are saved, we still struggle. We're missing the target. We're missing the mark, and so there's a groaning happening. Have you ever been to, like, a game? Let's use a football game. Anybody know about this team called the Browns? Um, so, there's, where do I go with this? Okay, I don't know if you've ever, let's not even talk about the Browns. So let's, let's say, like, you're at a game, and it's, and it's your favorite team, all right? And when you show up to a game, and, like, you're on a certain side of the field, like, and then everybody's wearing the same color, right? Because you are all in it, and you are all for the same team, and you are all, like, compadres now. I don't know who you are, but you're my friend today. We're going after, and the other team is boo, right? Like, we've got this rivalry going. That's what happens at a game. And so imagine it's like a football game. It's the last, um, like the last few seconds of the game, and your team is about to kick a field goal to win the game, okay? If they don't, they're going to lose. And so they're, they're up, they're ready, and they kick the field goal and the ball is flying through the air and everybody's just quiet right at that point and then it hits the side of the field goal and bounces out what does everybody do oh you groan collectively because he missed the mark that's what we're talking about we're all on the same team like we're we're all christ followers and and we're noticing that there's a groaning because we're missing the mark there's something not right. There's something off. That's this thing. That's what he's talking about in this verse. It's this, this groaning that happens inside. As, as we know, the earth isn't all it's supposed to be. We know we're not all that we're supposed to be. And he uses, um, he, he uses this sentence. Let me go back here. For I consider, this is, this is the, the tense part right here. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever experienced some suffering? Yeah. Okay. Some of you are being truth tellers. Okay. Um, is there is suffering fun? No. Heck no, right? Like, have you ever gone through something in your life where you just were just absolutely frustrated and angry? No. Yeah, right? And you were angry with God because you had questions. Why are you allowing this? Why is this happening? Those are, that's real. I think we all go through those moments. I go through those moments. We, it's a part of our humanity because suffering is not something we would choose to sign up for, right? It's not like, oh boy, I can't wait. Where's the suffering sign-up list? I'm in. All right, here we go. Like, we don't, it's not the thing we desire, but it's the thing we're going to experience, and there's, there's an understanding for us who are Christ followers that we don't suffer the same way that a lost person would suffer. I don't know what it, I, I just, those of you in the room that you don't have a relationship with God yet, A, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're curious. Maybe you got invited by somebody. Like, I want you to, to understand, you're welcome here. Like, come, listen, like, be intrigued, like, like ask questions. This is a great place to do that. Be curious. Um, but I don't know how you go through suffering without God. Because I would just be hopeless at that point, because what the heck is the point? And there are so many people, that is their life. And their life feels like a constant struggle. What is the purpose of this? 
All I know is that, like, we as Christ followers, we are still going to suffer. We're still going to struggle. But we can struggle with hope. This is what he's saying. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared. Okay, so let's, let's pretend I have a scale up here. And, and um, let's say uh, each moment of suffering is worth a penny. I've suffered, boom. I hit my pinky on the coffee table. That sucks, doesn't it? Have you ever said a bad word when that happened? Yeah. Okay, thank you for confession. <laughs> right? <laughs> Me too, by the way. I'm like, I'm not, like, I'm not judging anybody. I'm like, <laughs> all right. Right? You find out you have cancer. You find out your spouse was cheating on you. Or you actually were the one cheating. And you created suffering for other people. Maybe you got fired from your job, and each one of these things is, is like a penny to, that just keeps kind of adding up to, like, suffering, the things we go through, and then we just, we have this pile of suffering of things that we've had to go through. And he's saying, he's not devaluing the suffering. It's not saying, so just do this and whatever. Life's good. Be happy. Like, that is an ignorant way to view suffering. There's a better way to actually view suffering. And for us, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this groaning, this moaning, that, that this, it's like pennies. It's not worthy compared to what? The glory that is to be revealed. And I'm telling you, the glory that's to be revealed is of way more value than the sufferings that we go through. Glory, suffering. This is eternity. Eternity with no suffering. Eternity with no more sin, no more sorrow, no more brokenness. Absolute forgiveness, perfection in relationship with each other and God for eternity. This is not even compare, is what he's saying, to that promise, the hope we have as Christ followers. Does that make sense? I wanted to give us a visual picture. By the way, this is plastic. We're not that rich of a church, okay? <clears throat> it's an illustration. All right, so but these pennies are real. We have some of those, all right? Um, sometimes we compare our sufferings and make them feel like this, right? We make them feel like this, it's the end of the world. And what God is saying and what Paul is saying, what Scripture is saying is let's have a correct comparison, Let's see this as Christ followers with eternity in mind that the suffering we go through is just pennies compared to the, I can't even, like the trillions and trillions and quadrillions and quadrillions that would be attached to the promise that we get for eternity. I want to live in the promise, amen? amen. And so, so for us, this is, this is a point, you can fill this in as I get back to it. Do, do, do. Our eternal glory doesn't compare with the temporary suffering is what he's saying. Our eternal glory doesn't compare with, um, or our, yeah, eternal glory doesn't compare with the temporary suffering that we go through, but what do we then, what do we do with suffering? What do we do with that? And he's going to continue to answer that question as we go through this. Let me put my gold away. I'm just kidding. It doesn't want anything. I'm going to leave my pennies of suffering up here to remind me. That suffering fell off a cliff. 
Okay, so let's, let's keep reading. He keeps going, verse 24. For in hope, so we're moving from suffering, we're looking at the glory of God, the glory that we will be glorified in his presence, our temporary bodies will become permanently glorified bodies in his presence, right? That's, that's what we get to look forward to, and that is what we hope. There's this word hope. For in hope, we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, right? For who hopes for what he already sees? It, it's kind of like, it's like a birthday, right? You're going to get presents for your birthday, and you hope you're going to get, like, certain things, and that hope is like, I I don't know because I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is yet, but once you get that thing, you no longer hope for it. You just have it. The hope is fulfilled, and so you don't hope for it again. It's there. What he's saying is the thing we hope for and long for as Christ followers isn't what we already have. We're hoping for what we get. We're hoping for what is unseen, but if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it, like we long for it. There's something in us that groans for it, right? Now, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. This is awesome right here. I don't know if you've ever been through a suffering so much where you just like, I don't even know what to pray. Like, I've been there. Like, there's parts of my season of life right now that I'm in that I'm like, I'm struggling with some ways of praying. And that's okay, because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me that knows what I don't know. Right? This is, this is what he describes the Holy Spirit as. He says, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to what? The will of God. God, the Holy Spirit, is inside of us pretty, well, not pretty much, Like, he knows the will of the Heavenly Father. He knows the will of God. And so the Spirit in us is praying the will of God for us in ways that we don't know because we can't see or understand the fullness of the will of God in our lives. All we can see is today. That's all we can see. And so when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. Not according to our will or necessarily our hopes or dreams. Not that we're not supposed to pray those things. We can talk to God about those things. Absolutely. But when you don't know what to pray, and and you possibly are in one of those seasons of suffering, the Holy Spirit is there. He's called the counselor. He counsels us in the ways of God internally, not the law externally, internally leading us challenging us, enlightening God's word to us, bringing truth to us. See, the creation we live in is subjected to futility. It's vanity. It's meaningless. If we hope in this world, you will receive the fruit of that hope, which is vanity, meaningless, emptiness. Ask any billionaire, do you have enough? No. There's always more. That won't fulfill you. The things of this world won't fulfill you. He's saying, it is God himself that brings the fulfillment. It's not futility. You persevere in hope in the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, and then he connects you with the will of God. We're going to get to this in chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters in Romans, okay? Um, we'll get to this idea of the will of God and when we get there. But this is what it's saying, that we are called to persevere with hope as the Spirit intercedes in prayer. So our part is the hope part. The Holy Spirit's part is the interceding part, right? So we hope in the future glory. We hope in what God is doing. We hope that the suffering we go through is actually going to produce something good in our life 
which is the next part of this passage that we're going to talk about, we hope for those things. And that's a good hope. That's good hope to, to have. And as we're hoping in that, the Holy Spirit is praying for us. Now, now some people would take this passage and say, is this the gift of tongues? We, we see through the whole New Testament that the Holy Spirit gives this gift of tongues. And the gift of tongues, it, we see it in different ways. There's, there's moments where it shows up as a prayer language, meaning it's, it's a gift that comes out of you in a language that you may not even understand, but the Holy Spirit is speaking on your behalf, literally using your words and using his words, his language back to God to pray on your behalf. There's also parts of speaking in tongues where it's speaking just another actual language that somebody else can't understand so that they can hear the gospel message in the language that they need to have. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit that way, but when I'm reading this passage, that isn't like the verbiage in the Greek that's there. It's not talking about this specific gift. It's talking about just the work of the Spirit. That It's the Spirit that does it in us. It's, you don't have to speak in tongues to, to let the Holy Spirit intercede for you. A groan is a groan, Right? And so, even in those moments of, God, I don't know what to pray. Holy Spirit, just intercede, would you? And it may be audible. It may just be inside of you. But when the Holy Spirit intercedes, I'm trusting because he knows the will of the Father. I know Tim's will. Sometimes Tim's will lines up with the Father's will. Sometimes Tim's will is over here, <laughs> right? And sometimes the Holy Spirit's saying, Sometimes he goes, come here, <laughs> right? Like, sometimes he's got to, like, get me. Like, come on, over here. Like, or I experience the consequence of Tim's will and go, oops. And then I come back over to, like, but no matter what, the Holy Spirit's always working, always interceding, even in the midst of suffering, okay? Okay, so now we're here, Romans eight twenty eight. 28. It's what it says, and we know that God causes all things. How many things? So in the Greek, you get back to the original language, this means all things, okay? Like, that's what it means. Everything, in all things, this is what God does, causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So there's, there's, a, there's a qualification to God working out the good. You have to be his child. That's what he's saying. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're a child of God, he's got good for you. He's got, he's got good that will come out of suffering. Not that you will not go through suffering, but there can be good attached to that suffering and producing something. We, uh, okay, we're, all right. Let me take a sip of water. In our American consumeristic Christianity, we would, have a, we would have a propensity to take this verse and add it to our, um, our glory here on earth. God, would you give me your glory here? If you're going to work this out to good, I expect glory here. If, if, if I'm going to get fired from this job, I'm going to get another job, I'm going to make way more money because that's good. Or if I'm going to get out of this relationship, I'm going to go to this relationship. It's going to be way better because God said he's going to work it out for my good. And so we start adding our will to God's good, and, and we're misusing this passage of Scripture. Okay? This is taking it out of context because he actually answers what his good is in the next verse. 
If you only use this one verse by itself, you're missing it because preceding this verse, he's talking about suffering and the Holy Spirit working in you and God's will. And then he says, and in this, he's going to be working all things together for your good as you love God, as you walk in the calling, right, of his purpose. And then he he says this in 29, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. He just answered, what is the good? What is the good that he wants to produce in us to become conformed to the image of his son? That is God's good. That's God's ultimate goal for you, is that your life would be transformed to the image of Christ, that you would look more and more like Christ. This is the part of the spiritual equation many of us in American consumerism don't like. The only way we become like Christ is if we choose to walk where Christ walked, allow the things, because yes, Jesus is our Savior. He's also our model. When we read the Gospels, when we read his story, what he did, how he lived, he's showing us how we can live in a relationship with God. He's showing us how we can walk in the Holy Spirit and use our gifts to bless people. He's showing us, like he's the example of all those things for us. Did Jesus go through suffering? Yeah. 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 Suffering to the point of death for us. His ultimate suffering was our salvation. Like Christ's most humiliating moment was the most powerful moment of all of history. Do you understand that? His suffering led to our good. And I'm letting you know our suffering in Christ Jesus is a process of him transforming us and conforming us to look more like his son. The good he longs for in us isn't good stuff, the vanity of the world. It's God's stuff, the presence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus inside of us. This is good teaching. I'm not saying that as a boastful thing. I'm listening to my own words saying, Tim, listen. Like, I'm with you. I'm one of you. I'm a sinner just like you. I suffer just like you. We need these promises. We need to understand truth. And there's some words in this that, oh, theologians have wrestled with. (laughs) Some words like, for those whom he foreknew, this word foreknew, right? What does it mean? To know before, right? Like for is before, know is to know. Like God knows us before we are us. Now, this is where our mind starts to get boggled because this is a part of God's omnipresence, his omniscience, his holiness, his otherness, his perfection. Like there's a part of God that doesn't line up with who we are that we will not understand. And I don't even know if we'll fully understand it when we're face to face. I I'm assuming we will understand how eternity works, but right now we are confined by this thing called time, right? We have watches, and they go click, 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 click. Every second disappears, and we can't go back to it, right? Like for us, it just keeps moving forward. And all we know is what has been and what is right now. We don't know what's going to happen next, right? Like that's all we know. That's our finite mind. Where God, he lives outside of time. He is eternal. So his watch is way different than ours. And this is a part of us not being able to understand and comprehend. And I'm glad because I don't want a God that I can fully understand because if that is the case, then he is just like me. He is not like me. 
He foreknew you. He knew you before. He also predestined you. Pre, before, so he knew you before, destined, destiny, the end. He knows where it's all going to end. He knows where you will be. Now, I need you to hear very carefully because this passage does not say that he, he uh, foreknew you and controlled you and you had no choice. Because this is this conversation in theology world, all right? And they have their own titles with who believes what, and they have their arguments against each other. Here at New Hope, we don't live in either of those camps. We, we try to understand God's word, and we try to teach God's word, and we live always somewhere in the middle. Like, that's where I think the truth is in the middle, okay? That he knew us before, but he didn't control us. That he predestined, meaning he knows what was and he knows what will be, because that is who God is but he didn't robot us. So we still have free will and choice in the process, even though he is knowledgeable of all that will happen. It's not him making us puppets. Knowing and controlling are two different things. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm trying to make a complicated theological idea as simple as I can, and it's, it's hard. It's hard to teach, right? For those he foreknew, so he knew us before, he also predestined, he knew what we, where we would be to be what? Conformed to the image of his son so that we would be the firstborn among the brothers and sisters. So we're a part of that process. And these whom he predestined, so he knew beforehand what we would do, he also called. So he called us out of sin. And these whom he called, he also justified, just as if I had not sinned before him. He did that for us through Jesus Christ. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now this is interesting because glorified is in past tense. Like it's already happened. I'm just telling you, this is not glorified. Like, this is not glorified, right? We're not glorified. Like, this, our bodies are not glorified. How can he say it in the past tense if we haven't? Because he's God, and he sees it as if it already is. It's already done. He's already accomplished the glorification. We're just waiting for it. It's done. Okay. Everybody take a big breath. Ready? So imagine that you had, like, an eight-year-old kid and you gave him a table, and on that table, you just poured out a, like a thousand uh, puzzle pieces on that table. And you said, put it together. Does that mean you're not giving him a picture? You're not giving him the top of the box? You're not giving him just, just here's a puzzle, go for it. And that kid is just sitting there going like, I, what? and they're trying, and they get like, oh, this is a corner, and they find like a few corner pieces. And then you show up as a parent, and you show up, and you sit down, and Tim was like, let me help you. And you just go, and you just start putting this thing together really fast, and, and the kid's looking at you like, what the heck are you, what? And you got the picture just sitting right there, and you know exactly what it's supposed to look like when it's done. We're, as humans, like the kid who only sees one puzzle piece at a time. That's all we got. God in his powerful, eternal presence already sees the full picture. He already knows all the puzzle pieces of your life. And this is the good news. He didn't leave you empty in it. He came to you in it. And he loves you in it. He chose. And he lets us choose. I'd rather trust in the one that knows the full puzzle picture, who knew before, who knows the end, who knows where I am today. He is leading us. Christ is our model, right? He lived, he loved, he suffered, he conquered death, and he is glorified. We get to experience all of that. 
And so this is, this is the good that God is calling us to. God's good for us is our holiness, becoming more like Jesus Christ. So when we read verse 28 out of context, we will live it out out of context. When we read it in context of Romans 8 all put together in the whole book of Romans, we see that we know that God causes all things, the suffering, the blessings, the joys, the hurts, to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is for us to become more like Jesus Christ, that we will go through suffering, but it is not pain for pain's sake. It is pain that produces. If I'm going to go through something, I better learn something on the other side of it, right? There are people who actually go through things in their life that are way worse than anything I've ever gone through and anything I hope I will ever have to go through. And I've seen... um, well, heard stories and read books of individuals that have been paralyzed their whole life from one silly accident. Like one, one. There's. Oh, do I have time for this? No, I don't. It's no one. Okay, I don't. We've got good things uh, today. Here's here's what I want to say: that when we suffer, we can suffer with hope that God has a purpose, that He has marked out our path. And that he has not left us alone in the midst of it, but he's walking beside us and even carrying us in the moments that we have no strength. That the Holy Spirit is encouraging us from the inside out, not the law trying to empower us from the outside in. It can't do that. The Holy Spirit inside out is helping us walk on that path. There's a, um, there was a lady, Corey Ten Boom, if you've ever heard of her. She's a Holocaust survivor. And she shares her testimony of God's work in her life that she survived concentration camp. And this is what she said. Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. He's up to something. He has good. He wants to work things out. And so for us as Christ followers, when you don't understand the purpose, you hold on to the promise that God is with us. When you don't understand the purpose, you've got to hold on to the promise, right? You walk into the promises that God has, the truth in his word, the things that he said, I will. When you see God say, I will, underline it, highlight it, exclamation mark it, put it on a post-it note. Like, he makes promises. And when when we walk with him and walk in him and allow him to be the one to, to walk us through we can get to the other side of struggles. We can see the good on the other side of the struggle. The things that needed to be pruned out of our lives because we didn't even know that ugly part was really even in there, but the Holy Spirit said, it's in there, let's get it out. The only way to get that out is for you to see it. The only way to see it is if you go through something to see it and it exposes it. It's usually the tough times in the valleys that exposes your character. It's not the good times. It's usually the tough times in the valleys that we draw closer to God, not the, not the mountaintops. His promise is that he is with us and he wants to walk with us through it. There's no more condemnation or separation from God. Amen? Amen. Our eternal glory doesn't compare with our temporary sufferings. That we're called to persevere with hope as the Spirit intercedes before us and that God's good is our holiness becoming more like Christ Jesus. And when we don't understand, we hold on to the purpose 
or we don't understand the purpose, we hold on to the promise that God is with us. We're going to take some time to respond. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that you have for us today, the promise of your word to not, re- to not just return void, but you're working things out in us. And this morning, as we're just taking a time to respond, I know that you are saying something to every single one of us in this room and that you have something to say to us and we want to hear it. There are some in this room, God, that are suffering. And they may have felt a heaviness for a long time. I have been years they felt a heaviness. I thank you that even when things last longer than we think, that we can still hold on to your promise. Your spirit can still comfort us. You've only promised us moment by moment. We know that your strength, God, and your Holy Spirit's strength shows up the best in our weakness. Teach us to to depend on your strength, God. This morning, if if that's you, if if you've been just suffering and struggling, I'm hope I'm hopeful that this word is giving you hope. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you in this time of response. Okay, let let Him just work inside of your heart. Let Him to let Him um, let Him reveal the thing that He's trying to do to make you look more like Christ, or maybe that thing He's trying to prune out of your life because it doesn't look like Christ. And allow him to do it. Just release it to him. Hand it to him. But today, if you're here and you don't have any of these promises, you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know Jesus Christ, like, your suffering is just suffering. It's just because we live in a broken world. I don't don't want you to experience hopeless suffering. And today, if you want what we're talking about, if you want a relationship with God, you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart. And Jesus died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. You can be saved. You can start that relationship today. And if that's you, I'm praying right now and I want you to pray. I want you to invite God. I want you to give your life to him and start that today so you can start walking in freedom. In a moment, we're gonna celebrate baptisms and I'm telling you, baptism is the ultimate sign and expression of what I'm talking about. Baptism is that imagery of us being buried, our sin, our old self being buried like 